This podcast is supported by Patreon. You can support it at patreon.com slash toadsanime to listen to the next episode before it releases. Alternatively, spend it on something more important like a big tasty meatball. Hello and welcome to another episode of Toad on Games, the podcast where we talk about all things video games, and sometimes not video games, but never toads. I've never spoken about toads for some reason. They're an okay animal. Average. Five out of ten on the animal scale, I think. Um, don't know what I'm talking about. With me today is George T- uh, George Chill, who is the Bonsai Treehouse on Twitter. Hello. Ronaldinho do, tell... <laughs> do you want to tell people um, who you are, what you do um, in games, that sort of thing? Okay. Um my name is George Cheel. I graduated from London Southbank University in 2016 with the Game Cultures course before they changed the name to Game Design Development. Uh, did uh, just under a year's worth of uh, contract QA work for a few people, uh, Oculus and uh, and uh, Roll7. And then um, I basically just took the, the, the huge amount of sp- uh, free time that I had to just take my own initiative and start making games of my own. Sweet. Um, so that's kind of how we mostly we, we mostly got in contact is obviously through your your bonsai treehouse sort of dev account on Twitter. And um, yeah, yeah, it's just a, for me, it's always really cool to speak to indie developers and get there because I've spoken to a lot of indie developers over the years, and what I've seen is that they all have completely different stories, which is really cool. And they have very unique perspectives on the industry and game development and yeah i just find all of that super interesting to be honest um i'm sure we'll go into it but especially what we what we were we briefly spoke about um your perspective on storytelling uh on twitter Mm. which i'm sure we'll get into um but yeah so what are some of the um games that you've personally sort of worked on um i know you're working on snowdown at the moment Oh, um, that one has been released in November uh, last year, actually. Uh, it's available oh, now. Okay. Um, that one, um, my whole idea with it was um, to, it was a racing game where you're not entirely in control. Its, mm. um, it's main hook is um, it's local multiplayer, uh, four players, um, and they each have a tube, and on, all over the mountain are 50 of them in total, including them. And uh, they can all stick together once they once they collide and ride together with each other. So they're forcing momentum around. Uh, they can split off down multiple routes of the mountain. It's just one big mountain with loads of different uh, uh, race areas like stuck together into one. So any minute, it's all about chaos. You could have uh, a bunch of players on the left side of the mountain and another bunch of players on the right um they can still influence each other by riding through these uh these like yellow rings on the track so the people on the right side could run through a through a yellow ring and that could trigger an avalanche on the left side where the other players are and they freeze they possibly won't see each other again until about 10 minutes later into the race and it's like oh hey it's you people again uh, I got the idea. It's like I love chase scenes in movies, and the more people who are participating in it, the better. And one of my favorites is from <laughs> if you have ever seen Raising Arizona, um, or uh, Gromit, the Brothers. Yeah, um, yeah, that Wallace and Gromit at least. Yeah, yeah, those kinds of chase scenes where there's loads of things going off, 
are going on at once. Um, Wallace splits off from uh, Gromit and Feathers McGraw on the train, and then he rides around, and then he then he kind of comes back with uh, with the two on the train. Then uh, the Penguin splits off, and Wallace and Gromit go off on another rail, just like lots of th- lots of stuff going on all at the same time. And I wanted to get that like get that experience and make a game out of that. Just those kinds of experiences where it's like, okay, what's the emotion that I'm feeling behind this? What's the experience that this moment is giving me? And how can I communicate that? How can I Mm -hmm. bring that about uh, in interactive form, basically? Yeah, I mean, I haven't played it yet. I do apologize. But I've watched trailers and and, and read up on it and stuff. And Mm. it amazes me how when you look at the industry and kind of how a lot of it is so samey, like they're just repeating similar trends. And then you look at indie developers like yourselves Hmm. and then it's just like, it's such an original take on that kind of genre. Like there's, I I do implore anyone to go and look at the trailer for snowdown. Um, It is very much like there isn't another game exactly like it, which is something that you see all the time with indie development. Um, Hmm because people just want to create really cool original things and yeah it looks it looks awesome um thank you it looks chaotic <laughs> which i love <laughs> about it um yeah it looks really fun it looks really good it looks really good fun so how long did that oh, take you to develop was was that something you were doing um during you said all your university and QA work um it was soon after my qa work with roll seven was finished they were making laser league at the time um Right and uh, QA development was rolling di- uh, was winding down on that. It was uh, early to mid July, and I just had um, I just have a like a word document on hand with a bunch of ideas that I want to get to, and I chose the one that I felt <laughs> was the the easiest in comparison to create out of all of them, but one that I could that I feasibly wanted to explore as well. One that I could, you know, uh, get done with the creative skill set that I had. I basically used it as a way to um, to expand my knowledge of because in, in university um, I specialized mainly in the in the tangible side, the like the the visual, the presentation, basically. And I wanted to right. I wanted to get into like some of the nitty gritty elements. And Unreal Engine Four is is fantastic for that. It's got the inbuilt um, the the blueprint system. It's a it's it's a revelation as far as I'm concerned. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's like a just a drag and drop sort of spreadsheet sort of uh, flowchart system essentially. Uh, very easy to look up tutorials for. Hardly anything changes even with updates, uh, which uh, is more than which is a lot more than can be said for a lot of uh, hard coding systems. Um, and so mm-hmm. everything that I've uh, that I've managed to learn and accomplish, I did from Snowdown. I even uh, briefly showed it at uh, EGX. I had my own booth with it at the Tentacle Zone. So that oh, was just okay. I may have even passed you experience. then. Really? Hmm. Uh, Ju- um, Jupiter certainly That's passed cool. me yeah, last I mean... there as well. Oh yes, yeah, so we yeah we have a mutual friend in Jupiter, don't we? So um, 
I'm sure I yeah, uh, yeah. I'm sure maybe I did pass. But yeah, I love I love EGX with the tentacle zone. Um that's always one of my favorite areas. Um because that's where mm. you get these sort of unsigned like developers like yourself, like solo at home kind of developers. And some of the most unique mm. experiences I've ever played in all the gaming is in that kind of area. Um Sweet. I've always really felt that because obviously your games are available on, on itch.io. I've always really felt mm. that those kinds of games are so overlooked by the mainstream uh, mainstream gamers and mainstream game press, which is which is such an awful shame because there's some absolute gems. Um, I think I've downloaded something like forty thousand indie games over. Uh, oh, you've got the years quite the backlog then. <laughs> from which to IO. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a huge backlog. I kind of have, I kind of, I've been, I've been in- interested in indie games since just before the indie boom which for me was like super meat boy and world of goo and uh braid and that's uh, great i was interested in it a couple of years before that um so back in those days it was uh, like tig source and stuff where we'd be downloading indie games uh these must have been the early noise and oh, okay. um so the i've been doing that era. since then i think yeah sort of the new ground uh tig source kind of era and mm. was very invested in all that so over the years i've just been downloading all indie games that look interesting and um over the years my two test folder which is what i call my folder of games i still need to try out for the first time has like forty thousand games in it um oh wow no idea when i i will die unfortunately having ever been able to play many of those which is a a shame but there's a real wealth of exceptional games on platforms like those um Hmm. which people shouldn't people shouldn't overlook so to be um, fair, it's it's very difficult to um, to actually get the word out. It's like it's not enough to just say if you mm. build it, people will come. It's yeah. It's just not only standing out from the pack, but making sure people know that it exists at all. Yeah. And, and yeah, so I are... mean that's that's something I've seen a lot with indie developers. So obviously, for my full time job, I work in marketing. So right. my, my literal career is marketing video games. Hmm. Um, and having previously worked at, uh, with Numskull Games and um, now working with Super A Games and having previously been a journalist covering indie games, something I have hmm. noticed a lot is, of course, that indie devs, A, don't have the resources to be able to market their games, um, and B, it's not their area of expertise. So often they really don't know how to do that. Um, hmm. So you do get so many of these gems that just go completely unnoticed because people don't know how to get the word out. Um, hmm. It's a shame. I think we need platforms like itch.io and Game Jolt and stuff like that are really, really great, but they're perhaps not the best for discoverability. Um, I'm not sure, really sure what the answer to that is, but there definitely needs to be some method of discoverability for these kind of games. Yeah, I think I've I've had tabs on one, um, one guy who wrote a book um, fairly recently about this exact sort kind of thing um just um uh pro- providing a means for for developers uh with a shoestring budget basically to to get the word out about their game as much as possible uh t- educating them in mm-hmm. uh, basic principles of or you know what have you i could find a linker later share it online you could like i don't know uh, cuz i've got the t- i've got a tab open on my macbook somewhere yeah, I'd be interested in that, and I can link it in the description for anyone else interested as well. I, I, I would be very much interested in, in, in reading that. Um, I think a lot of the time as well, it's it's budget. Like, I, for example, use a platform um, called MailChimp, and that's how I send out my press releases. 
and I spent years cultivating that press list of, of, of contacts. Um, but that service costs money. It's not an awful lot of money, but it's more money than most small developers can afford to pay um, to, to write a press release and a press release out and stuff. Right. Um, it's tricky. It's, 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 it's tricky, really, for, for small devs to get visibility, for sure. Um, and the, the flip side is for a lot of bigger outlets, um, it simply doesn't get the clicks. Like Indie games simply don't get the clicks so unless it personally interests the author. A lot of the time, they just simply won't cover it. Um, hmm. It's a shame because there's such a wealth of originality and, and and amazing experiences out there that people just do not have their hands on. Yeah. Um, that's that's the area I'm trying to cover for the project I'm working on right now. I've scaled back hmm. from um, from what I've done with Snowdown, uh, going for something a bit simpler, something I can fine tune in a few months, and then focusing everything else on the presentation and the discoverability. Um, if you've right. seen me do spare updates about it, not weekly as Snowdown was, but this one, I'm calling it Truck Foo. Uh, it's kind of a gang beasts <laughs> sort of um, uh, setup. We have an arena. It's all Atari style graphics, but you have trucks. Cool. And they can winch onto trailers and then they swing those trailers behind them as, you know, uh, jackknifing in uh, truck lingo. Um, mm-hmm. Where the where the truck where the trailer behind the truck kind of um, kind of swings around at an angle to um, you basically swing it around like a baton and thwack other players with them essentially. <laughs> so your main method of movement becomes your main method of offense, offensive tactics as well. I dig that. I like that. Mm. So is that that's the next project that you're working on then? Yeah, it? yeah, right now. That's cool. That's interesting. I mean, I'd be very intrigued to see more of that. Is that something that you're tweeting about at the moment as you're working on? Um, yeah, occasionally. Um, with Snowdown, I had like uh, I set myself a weekly deadline for each update. But this one, I'm taking it a bit. I'm taking a bit more of a relaxed approach. Uh, things are a bit uh, dire in these times right now. Yes. Uh, yeah. Not everyone has as um, the company to do local multiplayer sessions right now. So mm-hmm. this is a good time to just hang back and just assess things, wait till wait till it all kind of blows over-ish. You know, read the room, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, that sounds really interesting. Again, like, uh, as, as I've kind of said a few times, like, that just sounds like a really cool original idea. The sort of <laughs> thing you wouldn't get from a lot of of mainstream games. Um, and it's those kind of experiences that we really need because otherwise games would be a bit boring. <laughs> um, the yeah, bigger, really cool. The bigger the game gets, naturally, the the wider the audience it has to appeal to in order to make its money back. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's 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 really the, the, the biggest asset that indie games and indie development has is that they can make a project that they want to make a cool idea and go with it and they don't have to worry about the marketability um, quite as much because um, as you say if there's a big like the last of us 2 with its tens and tens or hundreds of millions of dollars of budget hmm. they have to make sure that they can appeal to as many people as possible to get that back whereas in dev- devs yeah. is like if you know a lot of itch developers especially like if a thousand people play my game then awesome that's yeah. <laughs> then amazing um so yeah it's 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 uh it's really cool 
Mm. Um, you were saying how you kind of made Snowdown as a method to sort of learn more about development. Mm. Um, mostly concerning um, just, um, yeah, mainly the technical side. So um, mm. with my, uh, that's just a notification on my computer, with my university projects, um, that was a minim really minimalist sort of uh, experimental game with very, very little code. And uh, it was just all about uh, one singular um, approach to uh, mm -hmm. uh, em emotional provocation. And so with Snowdown, I wanted to just ex expand everything that I and into areas that I didn't know about much about yet. So that includes everything to like texture work, uh, lighting, um, the the fabric of uh, programming that goes behind making everything work. Uh, so mm. for that, I did have to look up a lot of tutorials. But uh, considering how um, how uh, how well I'm doing with uh, Truck Fu, uh, I'm hardly ever having to rely on tutorials now uh, from everything I learned in Snowdown. So I'd say it's a uh, it's uh, benefited me significantly. Now I can take everything I've learned and just um, and just kind of work through it um, to my own end. Like, so what if I tried this um, this method instead of that one? What if I rearranged these these nodes so it would do something different? That sort of thing. I really find that super interesting because when I because obviously I'm on such the other end of it like I'm in the industry but I don't pretend to understand the, the development side of stuff at all because I, okay. I don't um but when I'm playing sort of itch games and, and small indie games and stuff especially if I'm working through like someone's library it is interesting to see that clearly they're learning stuff as they're going along with each game and they're applying that in the next game and uh just just from my side of it it's really interesting to, to witness that hmm. I'm finding I relate a lot more to uh, people's um, um, development experience when they say that uh, every single game they've ever made is held together with uh, Pritt stick and crisps and string, and it could fall apart <laughs> at any moment. That's certainly how I felt um, making some of my games. Like when you look at, um, uh, like, say, a boundary break, boundary break video of Silent Hill 2, you zoom back the camera and see that there's hardly any geometry or detail outside of what the camera shows you it's mm. um really interesting uh, yeah um and I, I love all of that sort of stuff yeah yeah i i i love all of that sort of stuff like boundary break I actually had uh she says on on an episode on this once and mm. um and yeah like watching how how things are behind the scenes and stuff what, what, what I've realized, um, I'm reading uh, Blood, Sweat and Pixels at the moment, the book by Jason Schreier that um, sort of investigates how games are made. And there's a really good quote. I can't remember who it's from. It might be someone from Naughty Dog. But they basically said it's a miracle that any video game gets made. Every single video game that gets made, it's an absolute miracle. Because what you're saying about how you're, you're relating to other developers where you see that everything's held together on a, on a bit of string and it could break at any moment. Even the biggest games in the world, <laughs> from by from from what I'm reading, seems like it it is that way. Like it's just it's a miracle that it worked. It's a miracle that yeah. it's that it's together. Um, yeah, games are just like every single game that we play. It's an absolute bloody miracle that they they work, <laughs> basically. Yeah, it takes a lot of time and a lot of stress testing 
a lot of just going through making sure because my QA background uh, prepared me for this, just uh, tackling mm. the same issue over and over and over and over and over again, making sure, absolutely sure that everything is uh, at least 99.9% up to standards. Yeah, that's interesting, actually, obviously, because you've come from QA and got into development, um, hmm. which is, uh, I'm, I'm sure for a lot of people that work in QA, that's sort of a goal that they have. Um, that's an interesting, that's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting move because of course, as you say, it means that you can sort of apply that skill set to your own games where you can sort of rigorously test stuff. Yeah. Um, a lot of people think that QA is just, you sit, you play a game from start to finish, then we uh, had a good time playing again, then you go home. But of course it isn't like yeah. that. Hmm. I mean, it's because of that, uh, play testing background that I was able to get into QA briefly. For that time in the first mm. place uh just uh just a few companies after i finished university um um just put a call out there hey anyone want to test this game before it's released and i was like i put my hand up and i yes i want to and so <laughs> it just kind of goes from there yeah that's good that's good i mean and obviously someone being actually interested in the development side of stuff um doing qa in from my perspective mm. seems like a much more useful a useful person to work to work in QA as opposed to just your average sort of gamer who perhaps doesn't really understand um, what exactly it is they need to be looking for and stuff. Um, so that's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, so the one thing we were talking about before, and we didn't really go in depth on it um, over Twitter, but I was quite interested in you said about how you have very different views on narrative, especially when applied to like co-op games. So what? What did you mean by that? Do you mean literal storytelling? So, um, I I actually explored this a little bit in my uni dissertation. Just um, it was focusing on the Pitfall series uh, from game one mm -hmm. all the way to the latest comparative release in like two thousand and nine ten on iOS as basically an endless runner sort of sort of deal. Uh, I took all a look at all the games in the series and their storytelling approaches um, therein, how they were influenced by the development and uh, various different situations surrounding them at the time, the trends in video gaming and their approaches. Uh, first Pitfall game, very simple, just um, uh, Indiana Jones sort of sort of archetype, um, jump around um, find gold swing on vines uh then pitfall 2 comes in and it gives narrative context for the checkpoints that you that you enter and that you respawn from and it's like i, I realized that atari back in its day with games like missile command and even atlantis they took um they while their storytelling approaches were rudimentary their their ideals the fundamental ideals were let players experience this through play mm. and be shown the consequences through play. Um, so the, there is um, a feasible argument to be made that you could um, that you could provide the, the 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 foundations for a story without the game necessarily telling one itself. It's like take Mario Party for instance. Mm. Each of the four players participating on that couch in front of that television 
could either be the plucky underdog hero, the conniving villain wait, waiting to steal the, the winning opponent's star. They could be the utter fool who's always failing at every turn. Um, they, they, they are their own players in this, in this collective narrative that they're building together. Um, not consciously, but just on the fly through various different surprises, their various different twists and turns, and all kinds of upsets as well. I certainly remember it being being an oh my gosh mo- moments when we were playing as fa- as a family um, around the TV, you know, back on N64, GameCube, and all that. Yeah, and. And it's that kind of thing. It's it's just just set up the rules and mm-hmm. the and a brief little bit of context, and you could build a surprising amount with that alone. Uh, take a modern example would probably be Sea of Thieves, where you've got people mm-hmm. um, roaming around the the high the high seas with each other as a merry band of crew. Suddenly, a, a fuck a freaking kraken bursts out of the water with its tentacles and it's like oh sh- oh my gosh all hands on deck quickly man like yeah man, cannons fire fire uh, your own crewmates out the cannon uh, to safety that sort of thing um yeah I-, I love all that i mean it is very it's sort of it is as you touched on it nintendo kind of have that approach to sort of gameplay as narrative um hmm. in a lot of their games but on a more single player basis usually um but you're absolutely right like with cop games uh with growing up especially with sort of really early era games you had to fill in the blanks like there was some element of like role play involved in a lot of those club games so um mm. a, an example for me is my brother and i would play the army men games the the the, the green toy army men games army men 3d okay. and we would completely just make up our own narratives as we're playing um <laughs> and it's yeah it's 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 super interesting to me that, that obviously I don't feel that games always explore that as well as they possibly can. Obviously, when we talk about narrative, people will think of stuff like The Last of Us or Uncharted that have very mm. deliberate storytelling yeah. as opposed to allowing the story to kind of just happen at home, yeah. as you mentioned. It's uh, funny. Our relationships um, with games, it's like on Game Boy, we understood it was just an A to B sort of thing. Even with like Wario Land Three, it was there was still a fairly linear through line to follow. Um, but on mm. Nintendo sixty four, the one we got loaned from like a neighbor or something, um, they were all open spaces, three D worlds, um, and whenever we played them, uh, they were pre owned. So all we had was just the mm. world and our own just curiosity to follow. We sometimes we didn't even know there was a story until someone else pointed out to us and and this place is oh no it's too scary i don't want to go into the shadow temple oh no uh that sort of thing (laughs) um and one of the biggest examples is like banjo kazooie um we got it pre-owned like again from a neighbor all we had was spiral mountain the opening to gruntilda's lair and mumbo's mountain unlocked all we ever did was just run back and forth between those locations over and over and over again, just just jumping around, having fun, bashing things, collecting notes, just <laughs> we um we had we did see there was a big slope up the top, but we just, just 
we didn't even know about the talent trot, so we couldn't get up there. But once we did find it, it was like, oh my gosh, a whole area of the world has just opened up to us. This is uncharted territory we're walking through. We are like discoverers. We're on an adventure now. Like, you know. Yeah, I love all that. Um, yeah, I wonder if that is... Obviously, I'm an adult now, but I wonder if that kind of experience is still happening in games because I feel they're so much more meticulously developed and uh, with with AAA games anyway. I you wonder if people to... are still having that kind of experience. You'd have to hide those kinds of secrets like really, really well. There's games like Dark Souls where you have innocuous paths down which could be either a dead end or the entire rest of the game uh, waiting for you. Mm. But... Uh... Yeah, I've um, I've yet to see a game deliberately um, hide whole swaths of content. Maybe from I've heard near Automata, people have said, "Oh, if once you've beaten the game once, you've barely scratched the surface." That sort of thing. Uh, yeah, maybe that. Yeah, might... I was actually gonna I was actually gonna bring that up. Um, I kind of use any excuse to bring up near Automata, but uh, I suppose it's a little bit different because the, once you finish the game once. It literally comes up with a screen going, "That's not the end of the game. Please make sure you carry on playing." Basically, yeah. um, I'd be I'd be very very interested in learning what the cutoff is. I'm I, I hope that stat exists somewhere where they can tell that someone has actually stopped playing at this point. I'd be very intrigued. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's like once the game is finished in the automata, it hasn't finished because you have to play it a second time as a different character for another perspective. So that's kind of a more typical like, sort of like Sonic uh, New Game Plus, Resident Evil, that sort of thing. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. So like a Resident Evil, where you play as the other character and it gives you more information of the story. Once you've done that, there's a whole third act of the game that is unlocked, as if it's like the game's own sequel yeah. that you then play, and it's like another ten hours worth of gameplay, and it's literally completely new content. But you have to do both of those first. Hmm. Um, it's really, really bizarre, like Sonic Adventure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it kind of is actually. Yeah, Sonic Sonic Adventures did do something similar, didn't it? Yeah, um, yeah it's really interesting. I mean, it's not, it's, it's, it, it does tell you. It does come with a black a black screen to tell you that's not the end of the game. Um, mm. Yeah, but it's still really interesting. It would be uh, um, revelatory to have players just stumble upon this by themselves, like, oh my gosh, yeah. I've got a freaking secret. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love the idea. I, I imagine for for developers, obviously, it's so much work for something that maybe most people wouldn't see. Exactly. Then they'd, I'm sure they would decide, well, we can't do that. Yeah, uh, it's I imagine it's it. come up as a conversation like, wouldn't it be great? Yeah, wouldn't it be great if we hid this entire like ten hour world somewhere in the game? <laughs> maybe only five percent of players will find it, but wouldn't it be amazing? Um, yeah. The you know the thing I also think of is kind of Shadow the Colossus, like reading about Shadow the Colossus and the people that still play that and try and discover things still, it's exceptional. Like, it's am I'm, I'm sure everything that can be found has been found in that game by now, yeah. but there are still people that play that game rigorously, hunting for new content, new areas and new secrets, and they, they firmly believe that there's more stuff in that game still. Um, mm. that, I find that amazing, all that sort of stuff. It's really incredible. Yeah. Like, once the secret's out of the bag, though, you can't really put it back in. Yeah, it's so different nowadays with the internet. Like, it's it's out there. Once once someone's found it, it's out there. Yeah. Um, I remember when I grew up, I was uh, I was super into Digimon World. 
Uh-huh. Me, 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 my, and, and so was my mum. <laughs> my mum was a big, a big fan of Digimon World. And one of the characters, oh, sort of offhand, uh, mentioned, "Oh, I've come from Ninja Village," and then my mum was convinced there must be a Ninja Village. You must be able to get to Ninja Village, and we would spend <laughs> hours in the misty woods looking around. And she was like, mm, "I bet it's, I bet it's in one of the trees." So we'd go around like pressing X on all of the trees. And we were convinced there would be like this way to access the secret area. Huh. Um, of course, now the internet exists, I, kn- I know that doesn't exist. Um, but it's mm. that kind of thing that I imagine can't happen anymore because people can just go and Google it. Um, mm. But there used to be so much of that. There used to be, oh, I bet you can unlock Luigi in Super 64 and, and all that stuff. Um, a secret Mount Fire Eyes world in Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Again. exactly. Um, yeah, it's kind of a shame that all that sort of stuff is lost. I suppose on the on the flip side, what we have now, the equivalent is, um, although I don't feel it's really accessible for kids, it's it's uh, sort of the ARG stuff that people put in games. So the Trials games, for example, put in this. Uh, and again, I implore people to look it up because it is utterly incredible story. Um, they put in these really complicated ARG Easter eggs where... You know, there's so many riddles in the game and you have to record things and 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 put it through processes and put the audio backwards and and work out really difficult riddles and stuff. And it can take like a full community of players a year to work out what it is. And uh, and in the end. Yeah. And, and, and then it has like real world stuff. So in the end, they went out to they got some locations. They, they got like uh, they got like coordinates. Um, from different places around the world, like five of them or something, and people would people people in this community that were nearby went and dug up in those locations, and they would find like a metal box, like a chest. In real life, they would wow. go to these corners and they would dig it up, and they'd find a chest, and they'd open it up, and inside was a key, and there was a note um, that said, "Be at be under the Eiffel Tower, or at this date on this time in a hundred years time." <laughs> there will be something for you. Some, someone that's it. Soft, had to do that. Had to go. It's out mad. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's utterly bonkers. Nights um, of Freddy's community together. You could solve it all in ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's such a crazy thing to watch unfold. And for that one specifically, it's mad to me that I will never know what the end story is of that because. The, the developers say we, pr- yeah, a hundred years. The developers say we promise we have put things in motion to assure that that happens. <laughs> so I think it's like three or four people, assuming they all turn up, um, or their children, or, or whoever it is that eventually turns up. Um, assuming someone turns up with those keys, um, like two <laughs> of them or three of them won't work, but one of them will unlock something and get a prize. And it's like, what? An, what is that? Like, it's just incredible to me that. In a hundred years' time, there's going to be this story about this old game from a hundred years ago, um, and someone turning up to a box to unlock a box, and who it's knows like, what on earth is that box? It's like the the ancestors of a distant world setting in motion the ultimate question to life, the universe, and everything. Return to this place in exactly seven and a half million years, and I will have the answer for you. Yeah, yeah. Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, is all that. 
Yeah, it's like that on a smaller scale, and it's just crazy. Like, I guess that's the modern equivalent of finding these cool secret worlds are these ARGs, and that's mm. the most elaborate one I can think of. Yeah. But there are a lot of games that do stuff like that now, like these cool ARGs with real-life um, sort of uh, connections and really complicated in-game puzzles that you wouldn't just come by. Like, you would have to have a community of people working together and figure them out. And that's, um, that's after the game obfuscates its story to the point that you have to pour over every screenshot and every frame of animation and every yeah. single background element to, just to know what the heck is actually going on here. Yeah. And again, yeah, exactly. And then collective people of people doing it together, forming a story mm. together as mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's incredibly I, I find all of that incredibly interesting. Mm. Um the fact that yeah, a collective of people building a narrative together. Um and of course that leaks out, that then leaks out into games that don't even have it. Um I think it's Halo. I might be wrong. I think it's Halo Two. Um, they found like this button, sort of off the map, that you can. Put, that they, it took them months. They found a way to be able to get to it, um, and they're not sure what it does. And they're like, mm, oh, "I wonder what this button does in game. It's probably an Easter egg. Chances are, it's probably just a leftover asset that someone's put there." Um, so they can't press it. They just haven't pressed it yet. <laughs> I, I don't remember the. I think I think they have found a way to launch over and get it. Um, but they can't figure out if they've pressed it, if it actually does anything and whereabouts that is in the game. And okay. chances are it, it isn't in an Easter egg. It's probably just an, an, uh, an asset that's been left over. Um, it's, it's like a, a game developer uh, bug testing tool that they just took out all the functionality for before the game ships. Like Developers will have these like um, fail-safes on hand to just test a bug on prompt, like bam! Press the button, see if it see if mm. the, the issue is recurring, and if they're absolutely sure that it's fixed, then turn off the button. Uh, but just keep it there, just in case it crops up again. That's, that's my best guess. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, that that would that would make sense for sure. Um... You've also got like uh, the recent news of Gears of War three with a PlayStation three build. That was just uh, that's mm. a common thing with developers testing builds on different machines to ensure that they have uh the skills and knowledge to to port to other platforms simultaneously yes yeah yeah there was that was a big story when the gears 3 sort of history build was found um it was unclear whether because obviously it's like a first party xbox title now uh, yeah the gears series um so everyone's like what what was oh my god they were gonna point it but you're right it was it was I'm sure just an in an internal test to see whether they could. Yeah, uh, I'm sure the, the, the devs sort of set themselves at some point. Yes, yeah, yeah. I don't think there was ever any intention of bringing it to the console. Um, mm. But yeah, I think I think that's an interesting point itself. There's there's the lack of development knowledge um, from people like me <laughs> and uh, and the general gaming public that don't understand development. Because of our lack of not of development knowledge, we will often sort of misconstrue things as being an Easter egg or as being um, an ARG or as being this thing that simply isn't just because we don't really understand the, how development works. Um, I think as we as we mentioned earlier, stuff like boundary bake that helps that helps the general public sort of understand even on the most basic level, how games are made and why there's assets left around and how assets are reused and that sort of thing. 
guessing um, one thing it's fun to speculate just what if though yeah what if it really is <laughs> i mean there are there are a whole there are entire communities online dedicated to this sort of stuff like the game theory channel and and yeah. uh, the easter egg hunter channel and stuff like that these huge communities of people that are really focused on speculation over games um sort of these easter egg hunting stuff and it's it's it kind of feeds into what you say that's like building its own narrative around the game and there are some developers that intentionally play on that hmm. um and it's yeah it's a very interesting field uh of game culture to me yeah um so you mentioned earlier you so what you studied in uni actually was was game culture and then they changed what the what it what it what it was well, the, the curriculum is still the same, but the name is just, um, I think it was called Game Cultures, because as they said, they want to cover all facets of game development, let the students hone in on what they specialise in, and then use that specialisation to just go all in on their final year for their final uh, dissertation and game projects and such. So they can really focus on what they know best and strive to be the, um, the best at what they can do. Which is very freeing, and so I guess they just—that's cool. I guess they just changed the name um, to reflect that game design and development, just to, just to, like, to illustrate that point. Because maybe game cultures—I mm. don't know—maybe it was sounded a bit too vague, or something. I'm just guessing. Yeah, I mean, from that, I I wouldn't have been sure what that was, <laughs> what, what what that meant really. Um, so it's not a dev- so it's not a development class per se it's just a it's it's a it's about games and then from that they let you kind of explore yeah where you want to go with it yeah so that's good like i said i focused more on uh narrative and presentation uh pitfall Mm. narrative throughout the decades were for my dissertation and then i did a, a really weird it's kind of philip glass sort of um droning meditative repetitive sort of grind uh in called it's called you are worthless a video game where nothing happens <laughs> it's it's also available on itch but that one's free um yeah i saw that on your itch page yeah, yeah. and so and so it's like a, a it's a game where so what do you what do, what do you actually have to do in that game what do you actually cuz i was looking through the trailers and stuff and it it looked really interesting um, so what it is, you start off right dead center in the middle of a map and you can go in absolutely any direction you want. And all it is, you ha- all you literally have to do is walk to the very edge of the map and then you'll beat the game. But that walk will take about two to three hours to do. And you walk the regular speed like you do in real life. You don't, there's no run. You just point your mouse in the direction, you click... And then you got to keep clicking if you want to keep walking. If you leave it alone, if you leave it idle for 30 seconds or more, then you'll start blinking and then you'll teleport right back to the beginning like that. So it, it, I tried to play off of um, Philip Glass tropes where it just um, uh, Philip Glass operas where your absolute attention is commanded by the visuals being presented in front of you, but they're moving at a snail's pace uh, each time along with the music and it kind of brings you into this sense 
going beyond boredom, going beyond anger with the boredom, and into a just and just uh, as um, as Browse Held High would say, boring you into Nirvana, essentially. <laughs> um, do you know what that kind of, it kind of reminds me of Desert Bus, the that Penn and Teller game, yeah, Desert that, Bus, that was, um, just like hours well. of driving, but you have to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah, that was a uh, I love influence. it. I mean, as I sort of have said before, it's these kind of experiences that thank God we have indie games for because yeah. by, 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 by my standards, any game is, any video game is art anyway. But like it's yeah. these kind of, you are worthless um, is a very, it's, it's, it's more evidently art. Like it's such a more evident art form. Like if, if you showed that at a, uh, at a museum and they and they showed that experience and explained it to you but like, oh wow it's really interesting it would, it would make you think yeah. <laughs> you know you'd have deep thoughts about it. it's a lot easier to sort of show that as an art form than a lot of other games um yeah i find i find experimental games like that wonderful i i adore them um yeah hopefully people go check that out i would i would love to see people try and do <laughs> like speed runs of that game um <laughs> which is just them walking for two hours um i'd love to see do it. A- I did do a game jam version of it for the slow game jam. Slow game jam was uh, back in 2017, where um, uh, we were trying to make games that didn't demand your attention, that you could just run in the background while you did something else, um, and you could come back to it later. And then it's like, oh, this um, this happened while you were away. So one of the games that was made was uh, a pet simulator, but the pet was completely independent. So you could uh, leave it for a bit. Um, two minutes later, you check back, and it's brought you a postcard that it's gone to Paris. And this is like wishing <laughs> here sort of thing. <laughs> this is while I was what I was that's, doing, that's... and so I just retooled my uh, my nothing happens game to just um, not teleport you back, but uh, and every click leaves you walking for a for a whole for like two minutes at a time. And I just put a big old blue purple filter over the top to make it really soothing, soothing and calming. Um, so that's a bit of an alternative way of experiencing it if you want it. Um, I have, I, I, I get, I, do you know? What? I think I have this downloaded. I'm pretty sure I, as I said, I have like forty thousand <laughs> <laughs> indie games sitting around. Um, I think I have your game downloaded already. Um, oh, I love games like this. I I need to actually get around to playing it. Um, hmm. I love. Maybe you should like do that. a series. Um, do a series like three random games on YouTube or something. We just burn through uh, as many games as possible within like I don't know. While you have time spare from your from your day job, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I've always wanted to do something like that because there's so many there's so many hidden gems in 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 the in that collection of games. Um, like and what's especially game. alarming to me, yeah, what's especially alarming to me is um, once there was a developer who was going to do a talk um, on one of their games, and they they quickly tweeted out like an hour before they had their talk, like, "Oh my gosh, I've just realised I don't have this game I made. Does anyone have it?" And I was like, "I have it," and had to <laughs> send it to them. Um, and it's just very alarming to me that, oh my goodness, like. That I may seriously have some games here that literally don't exist anywhere else anymore. And as someone who preservation is such a huge thing for me that I need to kind of, I need to kind of make sure that these games 
aren't stuck to my hard drive that one day dies and then 40,000 games disappear off the face of the earth. Um, yeah. So yeah, I should do something with them. I would love to do like a, a little YouTube series, as you say, where I'm just like play a couple of them at a time and, mm. and stuff. Um, Build your it's it's stories, like a hydra. Your own legends of the past. Gather around yeah. fire and I shall tell you a tale. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, it's it's kind of worrying because sometimes I will go away on holiday and or you know I'm not working for for a day or whatever, and I will get through some, and I'll get through like twenty of those games and be like, oh great, good, I'm making headway. And then the next day I'll go on itch.io or Game Jump and I will download like fifty new games that have turned up in the last week. Oh. Um, so it's just <laughs> I'm never going to get through that folder. Um, not without a whole but, uh, team of other people on your side. Right? Gosh, maybe that wouldn't be a bad idea because this I, I would hate for this sort of stuff to go just poof, disappear forever or go undiscovered. Um, maybe I should do something with it one day. Anyway, that's for another time. Mm. Um, I guess we'll wrap up here. Um, but it was... It, I find... I, I found these, intri- these, these topics we've kind of gone over really interesting and uh, I do encourage people to go and check out um, the Bonsai Treehouse on, on itch.io to check out your games. Um, where can people find you online? Um, you can find me on the Twitter handle at Bonsai Treehouse. Uh, I, um, I just paste that name on as many uh, pieces of social media I can just to make sure Bonsai Treehouse, that's where you find me. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, I have a, um, a Wix site, uh, which is just like a, a hub page for all these different areas. It's uh, georgechill.wixsite.com slash bonsai treehouse. You'll find uh, Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, that sort of thing. You'll see. Sweet. Mm. I will, uh, I'll put that link in the description for anyone listening as well. Um, I really do encourage you to go check out these games, especially if you haven't experienced these kind of games before. Um, especially when I talk about something like you are worthless, I um, it's free at the moment. Like, there's no excuse to not go try out. To be honest, um, it doesn't take a very intensive laptop or PC to run. Um, if you've never experienced these kind of games, it's really interesting to just have a look at them. Um, cool. So with that, um, thank you very much for coming on. I found this thank you for having interesting. me. Um, I encourage people to go and find you online, check out your games. And maybe in a hundred years' time, if when we're dust, we'll come back on and talk about what on earth happened with that trials Easter egg. Who's who's a Ubisoft? Who? What is a what's a Ubisoft? Who knows? <laughs> right. Thanks for coming and listening, everyone. Catch you next time. This podcast is supported by Patreon. You can support it at Patreon.com/ToadsAnime to listen to the next episode before it releases. Alternatively, spend it on something more important like a big tasty meatball.